We are in a revolution. But it is a revolution in which the side that fires the first shot loses. We will not fire any shots because our weapon is uncommon good sense. Hello and welcome to Tractor Time. Tractor Time is brought to you by Acres USA, the voice of eco-agriculture. I'm your host, Ben Trollinger, editor of Acres USA magazine. Recently, an Acres USA reader gave us a piece of sheet music he found while cleaning out his barn. The song's called The Farmer Feeds Us All. It's an old standard that's been performed in some form or fashion by everyone from fiddling John Carson to Pete Seeger to Ry Cooter. You should go listen to it. I'll link to a version in the show notes. But because of copyright issues, I'll just read you a lyric. You may talk of all the nobles of the earth, of the kings who hold the nations in their thrall. Yet in this we all agree, if we only look and see, that the farmer is the man that feeds them all. I've been thinking about this song as the coronavirus pandemic lays low entire sectors of the U.S. and world economy as it spreads sickness to the rich and the poor alike, and as it gathers a dark cloud of fear and uncertainty over our future. And yet, as national emergencies often are, the pandemic has been clarifying, forcing us to think about what truly matters most. Now, if you watch the evening news, you might assume that's toilet paper. But for many, this time has been about reconnecting with loved ones. It's been about reconnecting with things that nourish us, things like faith and family and food. Along with social distancing, essential services has been one of the new phrases to enter our lexicon over the last few months. In addition to healthcare providers and grocery store workers, we were reminded during this time that farmers too are essential to our survival. Here at Acres USA, we've always marveled at the determination and the creativity small farmers show us in their tireless efforts to bring us nutritious food. In preparing for our May issue, which we put together this month, we reached out to many of these men and women to see how they were weathering the storm. And what we heard was inspiring. Farmers aren't panicking, they're just getting to work. Marty Travis runs Spence Farm in Illinois, along with his wife, Chris, and son, Will. He's also an Acres USA author. His book, My Farmer, My Customer, can be found at the Acres USA bookstore at acresusa.com. And Marty leads a co-op of farmers that serve some of the top restaurants in the Chicago area. Many of those restaurants went into hibernation during the outbreak, but they didn't forget about Marty's group. The chefs put out the word that there was plenty of fresh food for sale. The demand from families was so high that the co-op saw a big spike in its usual revenue. And even though he had barely slept a wink when we talked to him this month, Marty was still finding time to offer farmers words of encouragement. I was really inspired by what he had to say, and I hope you are too. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, I appreciate you taking your time um, to talk with us today. You know, how is your family? Um, how's their health? How are you doing? Everybody here is doing really well. Um, no issues um, health-wise. We're probably sleep-deprived, but we're trying to get over that. <laughs> there's just there's just a lot of moving parts right now, and you know, trying to keep everybody safe and well-fed. That's our goal. And you know, one of the the things that obviously is impacting your businesses. A lot of restaurants have closed um, across the country and, you know, you serve uh, one of the large, largest metro areas in, in the country in, in Chicago. I'm, I'm wondering exactly, you know, once the shutdown started rolling out across the country, what, what impact did you see directly 
um, and how did you start to adapt to it? We actually began to have some of these kinds of discussions of what if about a year ago or so, like, you know, trying to be as diverse and, and potentially ahead of the curve, you know, asking the question, so what if we couldn't take to all of our chefs anymore? What would we do? And how could we pivot? And then about a month ago, I was meeting with a number of our chefs just as a regular seasonal meeting and began asking them, you know, what would happen if this virus thing becomes an issue? None of them had any good answers. And that concerned me. So we came back and began thinking about and planning on how we were going to be able to transition to feeding families if the restaurants weren't able to stay open. So three weeks ago, um, we delivered to probably 30, between 30 and 40 restaurants that week. The next week, we had three restaurants that could order because most of them were closed down. We were able to do a Facebook post that Will did that had 8,000 or more views within a week. And lots of individual families asking to, to sign up and, and join in on our Friday email offerings. That next week, we started still made a little over $1,000 in total sales more than what we had done the week before with all of our restaurants. Last week, we were over $5,000 more than that week with all the restaurants, and we had more sales last week. We would typically not hit that sales mark for at least another six weeks into June. And then this week, oh my goodness. <laughs> There's, there's a lot of families ordering. Um, so we're, we're really honing in our systems and trying to keep, keep our farmers safe, produce great food, and get it to the people that are really looking to, to support us. How, how do you account for that surge in demand? I mean, that seems pretty remarkable. It is remarkable. Um, part of it is working with a number of our chefs um, they've put the word out. We've had a good following of individual families for a long while that have always wanted to be able to have access to this food, but we never felt like we could do both the restaurants and all of the individuals at the same time, or at least not try to institute something while we were doing one. We felt like we were doing really well with the restaurants. But now's a perfect time when we're not having to, to field all of the restaurant orders to try to institute this family food project and get that under our wings and, and fly with that. And then I think we can probably work to do both. But a lot of it's chefs. Um, a lot of it, they're talking it up. And I've got one chef that told me last week when he ordered, he was ordering for his neighborhood. He had taken the email that we send on Fridays and given it to the home association president, and he was taking orders. It's, it's remarkable, Ben, what, what you know, folks are doing here. Well, last time we talked, you talked a little bit about this supportive relationship that you have with restaurants, that when 
you guys are down, they help bring you up. And when they're down, you guys help them. Mm-hmm. How has that played out when these restaurants are, are largely closed or, or they're adapting in other ways? But it sounds like they're, they're putting the word out that, hey, let's support these farmers that, that we know in the area. Is, is it, has it been difficult to sort of watch them suffer? And- sure, sure. It's incredibly difficult for us to see their, their trials through this. Um, you know, the executive chef of Omni Hotel in Chicago told me last week, she said, can you, can you meet me at the dock this week? She said, I need to just touch base with you. And she said, you know, the hotel is going to be closed with no staff at all for two months. And that's, that's really rough. But yet, you know, she turned around and placed a huge order. And there were a couple folks from Omni Hotel that placed orders for themselves this week. Um, so there's a lot of pivot. The other thing, you know, we're a little bit different from like a farm CSA kind of a program, we're offering our Friday list to, that we typically send to all the chefs, we're offering that to all these individual families at the same price that we've offered it wholesale to all of our restaurants. That also, it's different than a CSA because people get to choose. And during this period of time right now, when we all feel like we don't have a ton of control in this situation, being able to have control or choice in what we're going to feed our families or ourselves seems like the right thing to be doing right now. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's remarkable. And a lot of it comes down to the messaging. I mean, we're all in this together and working really intently on how we say things, what we say, and then how we treat each other with compassion um, goes a really long way um, toward what people say and their experiences with farms and our farms. It makes it easy for them to share with friends and neighbors and family then, you know, hey, this is, this is an option that I think that you should consider. So I know you have a, a really close and tight-knit group of farmers within your network and cooperative. Um, are other farmers who maybe who are oper- operating outside of that or using maybe potentially different business models, maybe they're going to farmers markets or, or what have you, are they coming to you for advice? Are they struggling a bit more than maybe you and in, in your group? Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of concern. I was on a a video conference last week, and there's a lot of freak out, um, especially those farms who who rely heavily on farmers markets. I'm I'm very concerned for the the physical health of our farm community doing farmers markets. Um, if you think of it, if you put your your fingers, you know, about six inches apart uh, from both hands with the fingers facing each other toward your face, and you put the, the public customers on the left, left hand and the farmers on the right hand, and look at how many different farmers 
those consumers, those customers are going to go to back and forth, back and forth, and how all those fingers are going to get all meshed up. Mm-hmm. There's, there's risk involved in that. Now, if, if you take those same fingers and, and farmers and customers and keep that space between your face, but, but think about how in our situation, the farmers get their orders, they bring all their product, not at the same time, but during the same day to our farm, drop it off using, you know, gloves and all those things that we're supposed to do, drop that off. We're taking that product then and taking it to a drop-off point and allowing those customers still to have access without risking uh, peril to the farming community. You, You mentioned earlier, that you started thinking about this possibility over a year ago, not specifically with this, this virus right. or, or a pandemic in particular, but you thought, what would happen if, if society or the economy sort of shuts down and people stop moving around? What, I, what, was, the, what was the image that you had in your head when you, you thought, well, what if this happened? Like what, what, what sparked that idea in your head? Uh, and, and le- that which led you to start planning ahead for s- such an eventuality? Well, part of it is um, it, it kind of started at the very beginning of our farm experience. And I, I think I, I wrote about it just briefly in, in my farmer, my customer, was when my wife, Chris, said, well, what would happen if you couldn't build furniture anymore? What would you do? So we've always played these what if things. And it causes you to expand your mind and, and look at options. And so that whole conversation kind of became, well, what if things, you know, weren't so great for all the restaurants? Or what if, you know, we lost this account? Or what if we did that? How would we adjust? And I just, I just really feel it's really important for people in business, but farmers especially, to look at other options, to look at the whole scope of opportunities. We all get so siloed into what what we think we know or what we have always done in the past. And we're in a different place right now. And if we can really take a, take a look around our community and see the needs and do our best to fulfill those needs, I think we become part of the solution and, and we become stronger individuals and stronger as a community for that. What kind of economic toll are you seeing this have in your area? Um, you, we were talking earlier about the restaurants that you were serving. Are they furloughing? their staff? Are they having to close down? I mean, how, how are they weathering this right now? Well, a couple of our larger restaurant groups, they have like 1,700 employees and they've, they've sent them all home um, out of abundance of caution um, and as far as the, the workers' health, but also out of just, you know, I think, I think it's, it's just the right thing to do right now. It's going to take a toll. It's it, this isn't, I you know people aren't going to just 
go back to you know eating out every night or or that kind of thing. So we're looking at this as you know being a long longer term situation. I mean, we're not unique in this community from any other community in the country, really, other than that we have a, a very large group of produce farmers and 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 food farmers. You know, we during the first week of this. We made about four deliveries in two days to the local grocery store. Um, that first week where we would typically make two deliveries, we made seven deliveries during that whole week. So there's, there's opportunity to, to take care of people and to soften the blow of this a little bit. Econo- economically, yeah, we're all going to take some hits. And I, I don't know any other way but to have a strong agricultural economy to help support our local communities. Well, it sounds like you haven't really had any time to panic during all this. You've, you've been pl- plenty busy and, and it's just been a matter of you pivoting to sort of a different way of running your business and a different way of sort of harnessing your, your network to feed people. I know that you and your group have these meetings, these sort of town hall style meetings where you sort of determine what you want to do and, and you make decisions together. Um, how have you been communicating and, and what are you hearing from these farmers that you work with? Um, are they, are they optimistic? Are they fearful? What? And, and it's, it's evolving. Um, like, like all of us, we're trying to understand it, but um, the first week, uh, a lot of the farmers said, oh, maybe I should get rid of all those those extra pepper plants that I planted, or, you know, maybe I should scale back, or maybe I should do this. We've continued, the messaging part and the communication part is vital right now. So I'm spending piles of time, you know, reassuring and giving updates to our farmers, you know, after each week, trying to to pump them up and give them you know, good comments and, and feedback. I visited a, a few of the farms and we've had conversations with some of them one-on-one and they're, they are concerned. Um, but I, I just keep telling them, just keep planting, just put your head down and, and provide as much as you can. And even, even over the last couple of weeks where we would have maybe, you know, 8,000 pounds of, of a root veg, we're down to about 1,000 pounds now in just a couple of weeks. There's, there's a lot of product that's being moved, and I'm, I'm trying to meter it out so that we still have enough to get by until all of us have new crop available. And that's, it's coming, but trying to, to keep everybody um, you know, emotionally and mentally focused and to be safe and to do what each of us can do best that's that's our message right now and trying not to to freak anybody else out but just keep keep the money coming into the farm so that they can continue to do what they do best you know it's it sounds like you're sort of writing the playbook on how to uh, adapt to this as, as you go um what are are there any kind of guidelines that you're looking to, or is there any support that you're getting from elsewhere on on how to adapt your your farm to this new reality? I mean, just in terms of uh, sanitation, in terms of you know distancing, you know how how have you had to adapt in that in that regard? 
yeah, we we have boxes of gloves outside each of our walk-in coolers for our farmers when they deliver. Like I said, they're not all delivering at the same time and they're respecting of, you know, if one farm's here, they usually wait until they're finished and, and can do that. There's sanitizer um, that we're using a lot of. We have boxes of, of gloves in each of the delivery vehicles. Um, we're using fresh gloves every time we stop at a new place. Um, when we fuel up, I mean, it's just it, the sanitation aspect is really intense. But more than that, then that's that's super important. But part of it is also just the mental and emotional aspect of you know trying to to not i don't i don't think we've we've had any fear here yet here with our farm it's much more focused on how can we best serve the needs of our farmers and how do we best serve the needs of the community and doing that as judiciously as we can to limit our exposures and our risks. But you're right, we are writing a a new playbook, but we're also really trying to continue to to have compassion for everyone, uh, flexibility, and, uh, you know, we will get through this. You know, it just kind of occurred to me that, you know, I was asking myself, you know, why are you're seeing this kind of surge in demand um, from this this new group of customers that you you've connected with? You know, I was kind of wondering why why are they seeking out this kind of food? You know, why not just go to the grocery store? But mm-hmm. it kind of occurred to me as I was thinking that that sort of getting directly from the farm might actually be the safest way to go at this point. It is. Does that have anything yeah, to do with yeah, it? Yeah, it totally is. Um, partly, too, a lot of the grocery stores, at least here locally and, and generally throughout our area, they've been running out of product. And there's a lot of hesitation to, to you know, travel to the grocery store. And, and we're in a community with a lot of older folks, and there's a lot of apprehension there. So really if if we can provide an opportunity or an option for people to you know drive to the farm or order their order their things online pay for it online drive to the farm drive through not get out of their car and just have have things set in their car they're getting you know product that's super fresh that that they know where it came from there's traceability to it and they know that they are participating in a community project. They're keeping those dollars within the community. They're keeping all of us moving forward. And um, they're doing their part. And we're trying to do our part, too. Well, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. I know you, like you've, you said you were doing a round of media interviews uh, How what are, the, what are they asking you? I mean, you mentioned HuffPost. Yeah was one that you talked to uh, and maybe a couple of others and you know, what, what are the kind of national media outlets wanting to know? Well, a lot of it you? is how in the world are you surviving this with your farms? I mean, Will did a, uh, a local NPR station on, on Thursday on his way to, to Peoria with deliveries. Um, you know, they're wanting to know a lot of the same, same questions that you're asking. How are your farmers doing? Um, 
what's the message to that you want to get out to um, you know individual families and local customers and and part of what you're focusing on that I'm I'm trying to to get this message out too to the farming community um, across the country. It's spring. It's time to plant. We need to to do all we can to maybe hunker down a little bit, but offer our communities options. And um, you know, we'll see. The, everybody wants you know everybody's home right now, and they want to hear some good news. And the good news is that we as farmers are are pretty resilient folks. We care about our communities and we care about individuals and we want to do our part in this and um, God willing, we will. Marty, thanks again for talking with me and, and make time to get some rest. Just knowing that you're out there doing that work, um, I think is, is uh, inspiring for a lot of people. I hope our listeners feel that way. I know I do. Thank you for this opportunity. Seriously. Thank you for listening to another episode of Tractor Time, brought to you by Acres USA. Subscribe to our channel on YouTube, iTunes, or anywhere podcasts are available. Also find us on AcresUSA.com, EcoFarmingDaily.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our monthly magazine. Acres USA has been dedicated to the mission of educating growers and non-growers about the benefits of ecological farming practices for more than 40 years. At Acres USA, our content is designed to help you drive your operation, big or small, in an economical and ecological way. Our products, from books to a monthly magazine to annual events to podcasts and newsletters, are filled with high-quality content produced by farmers, consultants, and researchers. Wherever you are in your farming journey, we're here to help you. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.